Welcome to All Your Favorite Music is Probably, where we take a theme dive into popular songs and unearth the connections like Lego blocks. I'm your host, Mark Montgomery French, music culture writer, film composer, and tequila enthusiast. And today's theme is All Your Favorite Music is Probably Problematic. And my guest today is writer and KALX volunteer and storytelling jukebox, Stephanie Kalem. Hi. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on my podcast last radio show. And today we're going to talk about the fact that over time, words change meaning. When my mother was young, calling somebody fat was not good with an F. P-H-A-T could be positive. It changes. Bad was not good, then bad became good, and people became confused. And there's lots of, there. there's so many words like that. There's so many, you know, just the word gay, right? Like you start with the original definition where you're happy, and then you go to the homosexual definition, which could be a slur. And then you get to today where if you are of a homosexual persuasion, you can use that word however you like, but if you're not, you probably can't. You, you probably really should leave that one alone. Leave it to the professionals. So we're going to talk about songs that are problematic. Not that they should be canceled. Not that they're not good, because they're all great. But sometimes over a period of your life, there's certain words, certain concepts that were okay with you when you were younger now seem, wow, that was a hit. That seems way out in left field. Yeah, I feel like this particular topic is so good for this podcast, having listened to a few episodes, because so many of these pop songs are like, you know, poison candy. You know, there's so <laughs> much like, just like, oh, I never listened to the verses. <gasps> <laughs> or like, I've been singing this song since I was a child. <gasps> that's, that's the word. There's one song when I was young called My Sharona by the knack of, if you have not heard My Sharona, it was big. It was number one song for six weeks in America. It put the knack on the map. It put Weird Al on the map because I think his first song was My Bologna. So two, two careers popped out from this song. And I didn't know what he was singing about. I knew he was singing about a woman named Sharona that he thought was his. My first exposure to this song, as I recall, was they used to have these little, I don't know if you remember, these little uh, albums. They were, I'm, I'm holding my hands up like your audience can see. Yes. Um, but, you know, th three inch by three inch cardboard sleeves with a pink bubblegum yes, record inside. Of course. And, um, and I had a My Sharona one when I was, you know, however old, little. Yeah. And so I now realize one of the lines he is saying a lot, which is never going to stop. Give it up, such a dirty mind. Always get it up for the touch of the younger kind. My, 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 woo. Yeah, that uh, that went over my head when I was 10. Same, and I actually think that the name of the record, and I didn't look this up, but I do think the name of the record is And the Little Girls Understand, or But the Little Girls Understand. That was a, another album, so I guess he has a thing. And, you know, everybody has their themes. And I guess that's uh, Doug Figure, who wrote it when he was 25 and he met the real Strona when she was 17 and they felt madly in love. Well, are they still together? They are not. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps she aged out. I don't know. But and with that, I want to play for you the song that ruled the nation for a whole month and a half. My Sharona by The Knack. 
that was the riff that was inescapable because it's that good. My Sharona by The Knack. Supposedly, Quincy Jones told Michael Jackson while they're working on Thriller, you need to write a song like My Sharona. And Michael Jackson came up with Beat It. That is the rumor. I can hear that. Right? Absolutely. Uh, I also heard that someone uh, asked, I think Warner Brothers asked Devo to come up with something they could make into a single and pulled out My Sharona and they came back with Whip It. So I just, just, that's, that's perverse. I love it. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) By the way, that Devo album, Freedom of Choice, was their attempt at making an R&B album. Think of the cover. It's five people in matching suits looking at the camera which is unlike any album they'd done previously, right? It was, they, it was basically them trying to be the Temptations. I mean, you know, that's, that, says, that speaks volumes for what happens when a particular kind of artist interprets something without trying to be super, like have super um, fidelity to the original idea, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Where they're just like, let's pour it into, you know, the urn of our creativity that has all these chinks and holes in it and see what comes out. <laughs> see if it's drinkable. And it was. It really was. It was was the Kool-Aid of its time. Speaking of foodstuffs, let's talk about Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. Again, I love this song. It was one, when I was trying to play guitar, well, I can play guitar now, but when I first started, (laughs) I stupidly picked up the hardest things to play. I picked up police synchronicity. Andy Summers is nothing like what a beginner should try and play at all. You will either become a better guitar player or you will put the thing down. Um, and also I picked up Queen's Greatest Hits. Again, Brian May, not somebody you just want to waltz into coming straight off a Bob Dylan songbook. But I did figure out how to play the riff in Brown Sugar. It actually isn't that hard. It's really cool. And I was into it for the riff. Not so much the lyrics because I know what they were. Something, something, brown sugar. Right. So I grew up with a sister and a cool aunt who were like Stones fanatics. Nice. Um, so I grew up listening to the Stones. Um, oh, okay. And so, yeah, I mean, you get that you get that chorus stuck in your head and the riff. And then and I think I like from an early age, I had identified it as spicy. You know, yeah, like okay. like where I was like early edgelord behavior. I wouldn't have <laughs> identified it as that. But I like I think I just knew I think I had I was tuned into pop culture enough to know that like Mick Jagger is trying to is, you know, is definitely trying to push some some buttons. But yeah, but then I then I listened to the verses and I was like, oh, dear, what are we celebrating here? Uh, we're celebrating a, a guy who runs a slave ship who likes to beat the women and then um, have his way with them. In a very particularly rude manner, uh, the chorus, brown sugar, how come you taste so good? Ah, got me feeling now for brown sugar, just like a black girl should. Mm. To mixed credit, he doesn't say black girl anymore in concert. He says young girl. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Mick. Well, to be fair, most girls are young to Mick Jagger now. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that, you know, there's there's that other, there's that additional layer of like where like black and brown skin is always, uh, you know, compared to food. Oh, yes. In in narrative art. And like, whereas like white skin gets like porcelain and snow and moonlight. Um, so just to like add insult to injury on this one. Yeah. Um, I, get, I can't argue with the song construction, but I'm not singing it driving down the street quite as much. And so with that, I'll give you the opportunity to make your own choice. It's Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. 
And that was the sultry sound of the Rolling Stones and their big number one hit, Brown Sugar. Oh, and uh, peace out to Charlie Watts. Apparently, he's had a little bit of a medical injury and will the first time not be doing the world tour. The Stones are going on. Oh, wow. I think he's 80. I mean, he... It's amazing he's lasted this long, honestly. I I love Charlie Watts as a clothes horse. Like, I love all the stories of him, like, not putting anything in his pockets because he doesn't want to ruin the line of the suit. You know? Like, I'm just like, where did that come? Like, at what point in your in your development into rock stardom did that happen? Really? The great story about Charlie Watts, I think, basically, Mick was doing an interview within Charlie Watts's earshot. And Mick made the mistake of calling Charlie Watts his drummer. Oh. And I think Charlie either threw something at Mick or punched him and said, no, you're my singer. Makes a lot of sense. And, and Mick apologized. I want to take you back to 1989, in which, let's see, the big rap songs I remember from 89 were Public Enemies Fight the Power. I think Biz Marquis, Just a Friend. And then there was Beastie Boys. Paul's Boutique. But the biggest selling song of that year was Tone Loke's Wild Thing, because that's what radio could deal with. And the second single by Tone Loke was called Funky Cold Medina. And again, this song went to number three. This song sold a million copies. And if you hear the song now, part of you goes, really? This made it onto radio? For those of you who don't remember Funky Cold Medina. Verse one, he sees a dude who he thinks is lower than him, surrounded by women. How'd you get it? Oh, I got this thing called Funky Cold Medina, essentially a liquid roofie. Okay, verse two, he roofies his dog and then slut shames the dog because the dog is having more activity than him. Verse three, he roughs off a trans person who he roofied Mm-hmm. But then have the audacity to be upset about the presentation. Verse four, he roofies a woman who then decides she wants to settle down, which makes him mad. Not one part of this song has any <laughs> redeeming qualities whatsoever, nor any particularly great rhyme schemes. This is like, um, uh, it's, it's. Brass Monkey, which is about a similar thing. The Beastie Boys, Brass Monkey is also, it's just another, it's it's made by funky Cole Medina people, but, you know, it's sold to white people. I don't yes, know. Yes, yes. Um, it's different branding, <laughs> um, except that, yeah, you have that, it's like a poo-poo platter. You've got the bestiality, you've got the homophobia, like you've got, you just kind of pick up all the sides on the way <laughs> to um, the pop ear holes. And now for your pop ear holes, I will play you Funky Cold Medina by Tone Loke. Some action, but like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. The girls are all around, but none of them want to get with me. My threads are fresh, and I'm looking deaf. Yo, what's up? What LOC? The girls was all jocking at the other end of the barn, having drinks with some no name chump when they know that I'm the star. So I got up and strolled over to the other side of the cantina. I asked the guy, Why are you so fly? He said, Funky Cole Medina.
His brother told me a secret on how to get more chicks. Put a lid on Medina in your glass and the girls will come real quick. It's better than any alcohol or aphrodisiac. A couple of sips of this love potion and she'll be on your lap. So I gave some to my dog when he began to beg. And then he licked his bowl and he looked at me and did a wild thing on my leg. He used to scratch and bite me before he was much, much meaner. But now all the poodles run to my house for the funky cold Medina. You know what I'm saying? I got every dog in my neighborhood breaking down my door. I got Spuds and Kenzie, Alex from Strohs. They won't leave my dog alone with that Medina, pal. I went out to this girl. She said, hi, my name is Sheena. I thought she'd be good to go with a little funky cold Medina. She said, I'd like a drink. I said, um, okay, I'll go get it. And then a couple of sips, she gon' lick the lips, and I knew that she was with it. So I took her to my crib, and everything went well as planned. But when she got undressed, it was a big old mess. Sheena was a man. So I threw her mouth, I don't fool around with no Oscar Maya Wiener. You must be sure that your girl is pure for the funky cold Medina. You know, ain't no plans with a man. This the 80s, and I'm down with the ladies, you know. A little affection I took a shot as a contestant on the love connection The audience gets voted And you know, they picked a winner I took my date to the Hilton for Medina and some dinner She had a few drinks, I'm thinking soon what I'll be getting Instead she started talking about plans for a wedding I said, wait, slow down love, not so fast as I'll be seeing ya That's why I found you don't play around with the funky cold Medina You know what I'm saying? That Medina's a monster, y'all. Funky gold Medina. And that was Funky Cold Medina by Tone Loke. Yeah, it's a little, um... Much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little on the fa- on the nose. <laughs> on the nose. And now I want to talk about a much more elegant song. The song that was, as we all know, the Academy Award for Best Original Song for the film Neptune's Daughter in 1949. I knew that. <laughs> it's Baby, It's Cold Outside. It's not necessarily a Christmas song, but it has become one through repetition. And... It was in the movie, by the way, it was sung by Ricardo Montalban to Esther Williams. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, But most people know it from either the Dean Martin version or the Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Jordan version. And if you haven't heard the song, it's a man and a woman. It's late at night. 
she wants to go home and he keeps very slightly giving her reasons why she should stay. Like, I have more alcohol or it's cold or I have more alcohol <laughs> or your hair looks lovely. Don't put a hat on it or I have more alcohol. And I'm sure it went over very smooth and light and full of frivolity in 49. And now it sounds rapey. Mm, yeah, she's she's basically like, it, it's basically like whatever she sings, it doesn't really matter what her words are. Like right. he's not listening at all. Um, and you know what it reminded me of? The first thing I thought of when I re-listened to it was yes. that this is basically what Aziz Ansari got canceled for. Like, um, you know, just this very, very, very coercive date, mm-hmm. right? Because... Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, poison wrapped candy is still poison, right? Like this is <laughs> this is sweet and it's and it's and it's fluffy and it's so pretty. I mean, listening to it, it's so pretty and like it's so like the lyrics are like so smartly constructed and like laid on top of each other. Mm. But yeah, but it's it's so just like Oh, just so coercive and so just like I I don't care what you have to say, lady, and what I say matters. So you know I'm gonna win this argument. Yeah. It, it, in fact, it's my place and it's my song. It's a duet, but I've turned you into a background vocalist. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so with that, I want to play one of the more pretty versions of Gaslighting. This is Baby It's Cold Outside by Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Jordan. I really can't stay. But baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away But baby, it's cold outside This evening has been Been hoping that you so drop in very nice I'll hold your hands there just like My I mother did. will start to worry Beautiful, what's your heart? And father will be pacing the floor Listen to the fireplace roar So really, I'd better scurry Beautiful, please don't well, hurry Well, maybe just a half a drink more Put some records on while I pour Neighbors might think But baby, it's bad out there Say, what's in this drink? No cabs to be had out there I wish I knew how Your eyes are like starlight now break the spell I'll take your hat Your hair looks swell I ought to say no, no, Mind no, if sir. I'm moving closer. At least I'm gonna say that I tried What's the sense of hurting my pride? I really can't stay Oh, baby, don't hold out, baby. Ah, but it's cold outside I simply must go. But baby, it's cold outside. The answer is no. But baby, it's cold outside. The welcome has been. How lucky that you dropped in. So nice and warm. Look out that window at that spot. My sister will be suspicious. My brother will be there at the door. The My maiden aunt's mind is gushing. Well, maybe just a cigarette more. Never such a blizzard before. I've got to get home. But baby, you'd freeze out there. Say, uh, lend me a comb. It's up to your knees out there. You've really been great. I when you touch but my hand. don't you see? How can you do this thing to There's me? There's bound to be talk tomorrow. Think of my life long At least there will be plenty implied. If you got pneumonia and I, I really can't stay. Get over that old doubt. Ah, but it's cold outside. Where could you be going? 
When the wind is blowing and it's cold outside Baby, it's cold, cold, cold outside And you have been listening to Baby, It's Cold Outside from 1949 Written by Frank Loser, but performed by Ella Fitzgerald And on creepy vocals, Louis Jordan Louis Jordan can't sing, but you know, it's, it's creepy I remember 1985 and like most young people, I was glued to MTV. Turn it on, keep it on. And by the way, I did just see the documentary, I Want My MTV, which is on Hulu, I believe, which is great because that okay. interviews a bunch of the uh, executives who helped make MTV and how hard they worked and how they had to convince very older gentlemen who ran all the cable companies in America that young people would want to see Duran Duran and for hours at a time. And I, I was that young person who wanted to see Duran Duran for hours at a time. Also, I, the, if, when you ask for a story, like, what's a story that ages you? Um, I went away to sleepaway camp for the summer, and when I went away, Channel 27 or whatever, at Long Island Cable was Nickelodeon. And when I came back, it was MTV. And it was like the summer I was nine or 10. It was like perfectly lined up with my interests where I was like, oh, I guess we're not watching. You can't do that on television anymore. <laughs> I guess we're going to watch some videos. That's pretty funny. Uh, I was in San Francisco. So getting cable was a big thing because with 48 Hills, it's hard to get even FM radio to come in, <laughs> yeah. much less uh, any TV show. So as soon as a cable was available, my parents got cable TV and we got MTV maybe. I think it came out in 82 in San Francisco. So from that point on, it was what I and therefore what my family watched because I kept it on all the time. And that's how my mom learned who Robert Fripp was. Oh, okay. Of King Crimson, for those of you who are wondering, who who is he talking about? So MTV was so big that in an incredibly meta moment, Dire Straits had a song with the background chant, I want my MTV. And put it in the song, Money for Nothing, which also became a big hit on MTV. How many snakes are eating their own tail for that <laughs> to occur? It's one huge, what's it called? The um, Ouroboros. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Now. The coffee just kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> now, beyond the fact that that song sounds like, what if Bob Dylan fronted ZZ Top? Lyrically, it was based on a conversation that Mark Knopfler, the songwriter and singer and guitarist for Dire Straits, overheard in the appliance store. Two macho dudes watching a fleet of TVs, all with MTV on it, because that's how people used to do it, mm -hmm. and wrote everything that they said and turned it into the song, including a liberal use of, let's call it the F-slur mm -hmm. right now on the air. I don't want to say the word. And I cannot believe that song, they dropped it three times in one song. This song was a radio hit of huge proportions. It was number one. You could not escape that song in 85, even if you didn't have MTV or radio. You'd have to avoid cars. You'd have to avoid, it would pop out of every speaker. It was just that big. And yet, this line was okay. Now, I understand, and here's where it gets interesting. He's writing in the first person. Yeah, I mean, this song is, it's a real shame that he that he went, you know, that he sort of doubled down or tripled down on that particular word, because, you know, I'm not 
a, a Dire Straits fan, but this is like it's super smart satire in a pop yeah. song. Yeah. Like you listen to it and you get it. Like you, you, you know, there's no question that he's lampooning something, and that he, and you know, especially then when you layer in the "I want my MTV" and you have Sting doing the background vocals, right? Um, another MTV star. So like, it's definitely like smart satire, but not only, you know, do we have that word so many times, which, you know, was probably very hurtful for a lot of people at the time to hear so much, but also like, he really like, he likes saying it, you know, <laughs> like it could just be that he's committed to the song, you know, but he, yeah. but like, he's not like, he's not embarrassed. He's not, he's like, he's, he's working it into the rhythm, you know, and he's, he's saying it with gusto. He is. And now we're going to play for historical reasons only. The uncensored version of Dire Straits' Money for Nothing.
that ain't working. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. Money for nothing. And that was Money for Nothing by Dara Straits. You know, I wonder if those appliance store workers knew Mark Knopfler was there and have any idea that this huge mega hit was based upon this one tiny conversation they had. I'm I'm going to say no, I'm because Mark Knopfler did not look like a rock star. True. Right? He doesn't look like an MTV star. Um, but they must have known after when it was ubiquitous, when the song was everywhere. I would, I'm I, sure at least one of them was like, wait a minute, is this about me? <laughs> now, he backed away from saying that word immediately. So the song comes out June of 85. Live Aid is July of 85. He's already changed the word to Queenie. So somebody must have got to him within three days and went, you know, it works on the record in headphones maybe or by yourself, but to maybe the entire world, you might want to pick a different line. Can you imagine if he had gone like all the way in the other direction and he made it like dandy? (laughs) That little dandy got his own jet airplane. I'm sure also everybody behind him who were the kind of people he was singing about probably would have went, that's cool. Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to do romantic. Yeah, I'll do that. That's fine. (laughs) I actually had to do some research on this next song. And by research, it was Ask an Older Black Person. This is a song called Shotgun by Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Junior Walker is a sax player who became a singer on this song because his lead singer didn't show up. And he was on Motown in 1965. Now, if any of you remember what was happening among the black folks in the 60s, We're talking about two years. 1963 was the March on Washington. That's the I Have a Dream speech, right? Quarter million people there, one of the biggest marches about human rights in history of the world at that point. That led to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. In the South, there are lynchings of black men on a weekly basis going back to the 1860s. So 100 years of this, right? So what song does Junior Walker decide to record? A dance tune about shooting people. I mean, you know, there's a lot to shoot people about in that lead up. And it's not like his vocals are submerged or he's mumbling. Literally, the first word is shotgun. And the next line is shoot him before they run now. (sighs) Okay, so so I asked my mother, being an older black person, what were you thinking to, and when you, I mean all of America, thinking to make this song a number four hit? I don't know. You could just dance to it. It was fun. Fun. Shotgun? No one thought this was out of lot. No, we thought it was great. But I see your point now. Okay. Okay. It's a great riff. It's, it's got all a good what, beat and you can dance to it's it. It's got a good beat and you can dance to it. And, you know, and with that, I'm going to pull it so you can dance to it. This is Shotgun by Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Shotgun 
And that was Shotgun by Junior Walker and the All-Stars. And you probably do know some other Junior Walker. If you heard Urgent by Foreigner, the sax solo, that's Junior Walker. Wow. Total sellout. Yeah. (laughs) He's doing what he had to do. I'm kidding. I love Foreigner 4. I want to talk about Neil Diamond for a moment. And we all love Neil. And Neil is very coverable, as mm-hmm. we know from uh, UB40's Red Red Wine. Well, and he was a, wasn't he a Brill building songwriter? He was a Brill building songwriter. Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 a, he's, got, some, he's got some chops that, and, and, and mutton chops at a time, for and, a time. And I wonder, like, you know, it was him, you've got Carol King, you've got uh, uh, Goffin, um, and I wonder if they're all having lunch, like what you got, you know. I got, I'm a believer. Ugh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go back and work on something else. Maybe I don't need to finish this sandwich right now. <laughs> so Neil wrote a song called Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. And he supposedly wrote it because he wanted to acknowledge the women who came to his show. And it's of a time. And then Urge Overkill re-recorded it in 92. But it got famous. It got world famous when it was stuck into Pulp Fiction. And I will say that before on air that Stephanie and I discussed which version should we play for you? And of course you feel which way. Um, no, I mean you you won me over for this version, but you know, I'm married to a Neil Diamond, a big Neil Diamond fan, and I had to come around to Neil Diamond. Ah. Um, because I didn't think he was very cool. Because Neil Diamond to me is still like the guy that was in the movie of the jazz singer in the eighties. Ooh, yes. <laughs> you know? Um so so yeah, but I and all I mean, honestly, I'm a huge fan of the band. Mm-hmm. And if you read Levon Helm's uh, book, This Wheel's on Fire, which is really, really good, um, he talks about how The Last Waltz was absolutely not his idea. And Robbie Robertson, it was his idea to stop touring and he wanted to do this big concert. And they were all the people that appear in The Last Waltz are um, people who influenced them or they played with them, like Muddy Waters and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and all these people. And then Neil Diamond, because Robbie Robertson was like producing him. And Robbie Robertson was like, yeah, but let's get this young kid up here. Um, and that's Le- Levon Helm's version. But it always made me like, Neil Diamond. But but my husband has made me come around um, to the joy of Neil Diamond. However, the Urge Overkill version definitely um, drips with some malice that, uh, <laughs> that the Neil Diamond version does not. And I got to say, with l- lyrics like, girl, you'll be a woman soon. Please come take my hand. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. Soon you'll need a man. Does not ring as honest and earnest in 1992 as it may have in 1967. Counterpoint. Yes, I I agree. However, listening to just the lyrical content to this song, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that it's kind of the classic, uh, you know, girls, friends and family don't like the guy, think he's beneath her. Um, And so, you know, in that, version of the narrative like you'll be a woman soon promise could just be about her growing up and making her own choices ah i don't think it is for the record it's definitely probably not that but i think you could you could give it that reading you know what let's have the listeners think about it so we're gonna play urge overkill's version of the neil diamond classic girl comma you'll be a woman soon So much can't count all the ways I died for you, girl, and all they can say is he's not 
that's your kind You'll never get tired of putting me down And I never know when I come around What I'm gonna find Don't let them break up your mind Don't you know And that was Urge Overkill with Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Dripping with malice? Yeah, I think so. Creeping malice. Creeping malice. By the way, Urge Overkill, I found out their name comes from a lyric from Funkadelic. Oh, I could see that. I wish I could remember what song it was. I'm sure someone will respond back in the comments. Oh, it's this one. I want to talk about cultural appropriation. When does one draw the line? Uh, For example... The history of Gwen Stefani has basically been, hmm, maybe I'll do some East Indian headwear and maybe I'll drape Japanese women around me as mannequins. Accessories. Accessories. Uh, look, I think she wore a Native American headdress at one point. I mean, she's been strong on everything except for blackface. Um, which, by the way, Neil Diamond wore in The Jazz mm. Singer. Hard to come back from that. <sighs> but I'm sure he did it ironically. Did he? but before modern rock became an actual radio programmatable programmatable thing we had very little british rock bands with big hits in america that weren't zeppelin and the vapors 
had their one hit turning Japanese. It was big pretty much everywhere that English was spoken as a first language. And it got to the beginnings of the top 40 here. And of course, I loved it because it had great energy and the lyrics were fun to say with your mouth. Let's just start with the fake Japanese melodies going through the entire yeah. song. Which is actually called the Oriental Riff. Yes. It, it's used in it's used in China Girl. It's used in Hong Kong Gardens, which, you know, by Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> it's you know, she also has some black marks against her in terms of appropriation. Uh-huh. Um but but yeah, no, it's it's not it's not Oriental or Asian or I mean, it is Asian, but it's Western. It's from an Aladdin stage show. In 1847. Wow. And it's and in, in England, I think. So yeah, that that particular riff, it's appropriated and it's, you know, it's Crab Rangoon to begin with. <laughs> you know, like it's not really Asian. Um, it's and finger now, quote Asian. <laughs> but it is definitely shorthand um, for the, the mysterious Orient. And I mean, are we even going to talk about what the Vapor song is? In addition to that, what the Vapor song is about? There are two competing theories. Okay. So which one did you hear? I mean, I have always heard that it's about masturbation. I've heard specifically that not only is it about masturbation, but you're Eyes will slant at a certain point during it, and therefore you will be looking like a Japanese person. Yes, that is that is the version that I that I understood. Now the band has said that a romantic breakup is feeling like you're now from a foreign culture. Oh please! But also, if you're pushing sixty, wouldn't you want to change the narrative? Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Or you know, at least lean on the you know. Well, it's up to your interpretation. That's art, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, to let's, the listener. Well, let, yeah. Let's have the listeners to figure out which one you think they were talking about. This is the vapors with turning Japanese.
And that was Turning Japanese by The Vapors, or as they hate to call it, The One Hit. Mm. They did four albums. I think I heard this year they're coming out with a box set, basically Turning Japanese and a bunch of other stuff. Vapor 1, Vapor 2, Vapor 3, and Vapor 4. They need to send their kids to college. You know what? I think so. Stephanie, I'd like to thank you for being on my podcast slash radio show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if you ever want to do a part two, we can just only talk about how rock and roll is built on the teenage male libido. I, y- y'all heard this season two. We already have one episode coming up. <laughs> and that is our show. For all of you, please come back next week when we'll unveil another fun theme. And hey, I have dates. My music course, The Completely Abridged History of Bay Area Music, is still happening online from now through August 31st. If you miss an episode, don't worry about it. We'll send you videos of what happened live on the internet. And you can learn more from my Instagram and my Twitter. And the handle on both is Mr. French. That's M-R-F-R-3-N-C-H. It would be easy if the E wasn't a three. But somebody didn't think, why would I ever want to get a handle on Instagram and Twitter? And then I did, and it was taken. So my handle is M-R-F-R, the numeral three, N-C-H. Original music for this show, courtesy of Spiky Blimp. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Originally broadcast on KACRLP Alameda. Underwritten by Outdoor Afro, a not-for-profit organization committed to reconnecting Black people with nature and changing the face of leadership in the outdoors. Learn more at OutdoorAfro.com. Outdoor Afro.